0: pray. To you, Lord, uh, we have come this morning to lean (coughs) and listen in for what you have to say to us today. And so we pray, Lord, that um, as I speak, that you would just give us your Holy Spirit in this place, um, that your words would become my words, and that we would all have an opportunity with open eyes and open ears and open hearts to hear what you have to say to us today. Um, May you speak through us or speak to us through your word and through the living word who is your son Jesus in whose name we pray amen all right so I would love to start off this morning uh, by having you complete a sentence for me I'm going to put it on the screen here um, can you complete this sentence for me God loves you and has a blank plan for your life God loves you and has a wonderful I heard a few wonderfuls out there wonderful plan for your life you can go to the next one Brandon, Now, obviously that is uh, a, uh, uh, sorry, that's not supposed to be up there, that background, FYI. (laughs) Um, But anyway, um, that's a thing we've all heard in the past, right? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's a really common phrase that we hear inside of the church. That's probably the kind of thing that you would say to someone if you were maybe trying to convince them, right, to become a Christian. God loves you, he has a wonderful plan for your life, and so why don't you take a few steps into that plan, because it's going to be great. Now, that statement is 100% true. God does love you, God does have a wonderful plan for your life. But we can also complete that sentence in a few other ways. Um, That phrase of God has a wonderful plan for your life has become a little bit of a truism. In other words, we've said it so much, and we've said it so often, that it's almost lost its meaning. Uh, And it's it's kind of become a little bit of a joke as well. Some of you giggled when you heard that this morning. And so there are other things we could put inside of that blank. Um, Other words we could use to complete that sentence that would be just as accurate, and also I think would be way more interesting, way more compelling than just saying everything is going to be wonderful. And so today, what we're going to do is look actually at two alternatives, two other ways we can complete that sentence uh, about the kind of plan that God is laying out for our lives. And we're doing this uh, as week two in our series called God for Us. We started it last week and we're continuing it this week. And what we're doing is we're examining the idea um, and the meaning behind that phrase, God for Us. What does that really mean? Uh, That God is for us as individuals, that God is for uh, us as the church, that God is for us as a community, that God is for us as the world. How does God being for us change anything for us, in other words? And so last week, Pastor Ken preached on Romans chapter 8, which is actually where this phrase is taken from. Uh, And so this is actually kind of our theme verse for the series from Romans chapter 8. It's on the screen. I would love for you to read it along with me. If God is for us, who can be against us? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, as we think about that verse, I think there's a tendency to just kind of boil that verse down into a simple phrase like, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But some of you can actually attest to the fact that God's plan, as it unfolds in our life, isn't always wonderful. Right? There are difficult times. There are times where you're in the middle of it and you're saying, this doesn't feel so great. And so that phrase uh, can fall on its face a lot of times when we face difficulties in this life. But what we find even more, um, Brandon, you can go to the next slide. What we find even more is that life following Jesus is a lot more complex than that. It's not super simple. It can't be boiled down to just one phrase. And so today what we're gonna do is look at Genesis chapter 12, which we read from just a second ago. And in that story, God reveals his plan for Abraham to Abraham for the very first time. So it's the very first time that God says to Abraham, this is what I want to do in your life. And hopefully through that story, we'll see a little bit more clearly of what it means that God is for us. Now, as we meet Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, He's actually referred to as Abram. You may have noticed that in um, the scripture we read this morning. God gives him uh, a name change in Genesis chapter 7, and that's where he becomes Abraham. So he was born Abram, God names him Abraham later. Uh, But just for the sake of clarity, and because most of us know him as Abraham, um, we're just going to refer to him as Abraham today. So if you read Genesis 12 through 17, it'll say Abram, same guy. Now we aren't told much about Abraham uh, before Genesis chapter 12. He's mentioned really briefly in Genesis 11 uh, in one of the genealogies, right? So those places where it says, uh, this person was the father of this person, who was the father of this person, and the parts that usually skip when you (laughs) read the Bible, especially Genesis. But what we know from that list of people is that Abraham um, was a descendant of Noah, right? And he's about the 10th generation after Noah. So we're talking about a few hundred years after the flood, a few hundred years after Noah's life. But other than that, uh, Abraham is totally obscure. We don't know much about what he was like before this or what he did before this. We don't really know much about his life. Uh, The only other detail we're given is that he lived in a place called Haram. Um, If you go to the the next slide there, Haram was on the border between Syria and Turkey. So there's your map of the Middle East. And it would have been just kind of right in the middle of the border between Turkey and Syria. And that's pretty much the only thing that we know about Abraham's life. uh, That he lived there with his wife, Sarah, and their nephew, Lot. That's all. So in Genesis 12, one day, Abraham is just going about his normal business. And God starts speaking to him. If you go to the next slide... It says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And so God just starts talking to Abraham one day, and he says, this is what I want you to do. Go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to this land. Which leads me to the first way that we can actually complete this sentence. That instead of wonderful, um, God loves you and has an inconvenient plan for your life. Now, how many of you would start your evangelistic pitch with that phrase? <laughs> Not many of us, right? Wonderful sounds a lot more appealing. But it's true. In this time um, of Abraham's life, he's about 75 years old. And he's probably enjoying his life. He's in that uh, firmly in that season of you can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> like he has, he has had pattern after pattern after pattern in his life that he has lived for decades. And sure, not everything has turned out for Abraham the way that he planned. They wanted to have a child and and couldn't earlier in life. But other than that, Abraham is probably fairly content. Um, He's in a place where he's built his life and he has family around and probably has his normal day-to-day routine. And so it's probably not so bad. And he's been doing that for more than seven decades. And then all of a sudden... This God shows up out of nowhere and starts making demands of Abraham. Uh, In the original Hebrew language, which is the original language of this story, when God says, go, go from your father's house, go from your land, uh, the literal meaning of it is, get out. God says, get out of your land, of your father's house, of your people. And so the first thing that God says is, get out of your country. And what that means is, is his geography, right? Um, the place where he lived. And remember, Abraham lived at a time where people didn't move around a whole lot. We live in a day and age where it's, first of all, very easy to travel. Um, you know, you can get to Europe in six hours if you want to. Most people, especially in my generation, live in multiple cities throughout their life. Most of us don't stay very still. But 4,000 years ago... When Abraham lived, most people never went more than a few miles from their home. And so when God says, pick up, leave, and go to this land that I will show you, uh, that ends up being about 500 miles away, this is a big radical shift for Abraham. The second thing God says is to go from your kindred. And your kindred was uh, your culture, your people group, uh, probably his tribe. And so this is everything that we know about life that makes it comfortable and makes it convenient for us. right? So when you leave here today and you get in your car, you know what side of the road to drive on. That's a cultural thing. Other places around the world, people drive on the opposite side. Uh, you know what's considered polite when you deal with people and have personal interactions. That is different culture to culture. Um, you speak the language here. Uh, you probably call uh, soft drink soda right? And not pop like some heathen from Ohio. <laughs> um, and so all of those things are just cultural things that make you feel comfortable where you are. And what God is saying when he says, leave your kindred, he's, he's saying, leave all of that. Um, that you're going to leave that behind and go to this new place where things are very, very different. And finally, God asked Abraham to leave his father's house, which means literally, like, leave your family, leave your friends, Leave your support network and go. Oh, and one more thing. Uh, You're going to go to the land that I will show you. Notice the will in that sentence, right? That not the land I have shown you or the land that I'm pointing to right now on this map, but the land that I will show you. So pack up your stuff, get up and go, and we'll put in the GPS coordinates while we're on the way. This takes a major amount of faith and a major amount of trust from Abraham. And if I were him, I would probably be thinking to myself, like, hey, this plan that you're laying out for me doesn't seem so wonderful for my life. (laughs) Because I had stuff to do tomorrow. And that's because it's inconvenient. right? Who wants to leave everything that they've known at 70 years old and go to a foreign place just because some god showed up and started bossing you around? not many of us. But we, along with Abraham, learn something very important about God and how God works in this particular story. It's that in order to generate faith within us, in order to make use of us in the world, God often has to make us uncomfortable, and God often has to make us leave the familiar. If you go to the next slide, in other words, what God does is he, he calls us out so that he can call us in. He calls us out of our context so that he can call us deeper into relationship with him. You can think of it um, as a holy disruption of your life. That God will, at some times, in probably inconvenient ways and sometimes painful ways, take you from the familiar and bring you into unfamiliar territory in order to teach you and in order to train you and in order to ultimately make use of you and your life. And we see God do this time and time again throughout Scripture, right? Think of the story of the Exodus, those of you that know that story. God's people were slaves in Egypt, and he pulls them from slavery in Egypt, and he brings them not to um, a beautiful place that was already made for them, that's super comfortable, where they have everything they need. He pulls them into the wilderness, And so he pulls them into the wilderness so that they will come to a place where they are dependent upon him and so that he can generate greater faith within them. And the Israelites in the wilderness, if you know the story, commented quite frequently uh, on how inconvenient that plan was for them. A lot of them even said, like, let's go back to Egypt and be slaves again, because that's got to be better than what's going on out here. But God knew that in order to change their direction as a people, he had to first draw them out from their familiar surroundings so that he could make use of them later. In Mark 10, uh, Jesus has an uh, interaction with a rich young man, a story that a lot of us have probably heard as well. And this young man asks Jesus, he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus says to him, he says, go and sell everything you have, all of your possessions, Give the money to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. And he says, then come follow me. And the man refuses to do it. And Mark tells us that the man, quote, went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, what Jesus asked that man to do there is a really hard thing, right? Give away everything and come follow me. But what was Jesus doing there? He was calling this man out, right, from what uh, made him comfortable him out from his normal life, all of his possessions, all the things he owned, all the things that he had set up for himself, so that he could bring him into a place where he could have deeper relationship with Jesus. And this happens over and over and over again throughout Scripture. And coincidentally, this is how God deals with us too. I believe that God is perpetually, every day, calling us out of what is comfortable, calling us out of what is familiar, in order to draw us closer to himself. For each of us, there is an area of your life that God is calling you to leave behind. He's saying, get out to that specific place, just like he said it to Abraham. There's there's something that makes your life comfortable, something that makes your life easy, something that is a crutch for you that he's asking you to leave behind so that he can bring you into a place of greater faith in him. Now, some of you, that might be a habit, right? So God is calling you out of the bottle or God is calling you out of the pack of cigarettes or or out of the internet or out of the world of Warcraft or wherever Fortnite characters live. I'm not sure where that is, but whatever that crutch is and that thing that you lean on, he wants you to leave that behind because he wants you to use that time and that money and that headspace that you devote to that other thing for himself, so that he can make use of you. For some of you, it's a relationship. You've got a friendship, maybe a group of friends, boyfriend, girlfriend. And God is calling you out of the comfort of that familiarity so that he can draw you closer. Because you know, and you've known for a long time, that that relationship or those relationships aren't healthy. That they're not good for you. That you shouldn't be with that person or with those people. Uh, but you've stayed. Because it's easy. And you've stayed because it's familiar right? God wants you to exercise faith and step out in an uncomfortable way, but also into a more holy space. For others of you, it might be a job or a profession, and you feel God moving you towards something else, but you look at what you've got, and you're like, it's just so stable, and it pays so well, and look at the benefits I get, but God is drawing you out of that in order to draw you further into himself. make use of you elsewhere. And don't neglect for a second either to think, right, that God isn't calling one of you or some of you to be exactly like Abraham, to leave what's familiar, to leave your country, to leave your culture, to leave even your own family, to go and do what God is asking you to do someplace else. He still asks that today. And yes, those things might be really inconvenient and might be really hard. Right? And this is where that God has a wonderful plan for your life thing doesn't tell the whole story. Because here's what happens. When we tell people that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, we tell people, hey, God loves you. And they say, that's fantastic. That's amazing. I love me too. <laughs> In fact, no one loves me more than me. And then we add on to the fact, right, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And they say, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. I have a wonderful plan for my life too. It involves money and comfort and certainty and an easy life and probably a few jet skis, and I get everything what I want. And I can't believe God is on board with that. That's amazing. And that's how we think before we come to know Christ. And even when we first come to know Christ, we think that God's plan for us is our plan for us. But here's a deep secret. aren't always the same right louder for the people in the back your plans and God's plans are not always the same and so he has to disabuse us of this notion that God is just a genie in a lamp that is there to give us what we want part of God being for us is the very fact that he calls us to something higher he calls us to something more aspirational than just our own comfort He calls us to take risks because he is for us. So whatever it is for you, I can almost guarantee that your next step of faith is probably not towards ease, is probably not towards comfort or relaxation. Your next step of faith is probably towards discomfort. But one thing that can kind of ease your anxiety around that fact is this, that it's God who is speaking and that it's God who's making a claim on your life. It's not me, it's not the church, it's not anyone else, it's not even you making the claim, but it is God moving you out in order to invite you in in a new way. And so we can step out in faith because we know that God keeps his promises. This calling that Abraham receives is rooted in the promise that God has given him. If you go to the next slide, Brandon. This is what God says to Abraham. He says, "I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So the whole reason uh, for God moving Abraham out of his normal life is so that God can do something brand new through him. He says, "You're going to father a nation, you're going to have a great name, and you will be the blessing." In fact, because of you, every nation on this planet will be blessed. Which brings me then to the second shift in our thinking, um, that God loves you and has a purposeful plan for your life. That God isn't asking you to become uncomfortable and make these sacrifices just because it's fun for Him. There's a reason behind it. Let's look for a second. Um, you can go to the, the next slide, Brandon. Um, Let's look at the three elements of that promise that God gives Abraham. He says, first, you are going to become a great nation. You're going to give birth to a great nation. And and later, God says to Abraham, you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars. And if somebody showed up and told us that, we would probably say, yeah, good luck with that. But for Abraham especially, this was an absurd idea. You see, he and Sarah had tried for a really long time to have kids. And it was tied up in all kinds of things, culturally, that it was super important to have children. But they had tried for year after year after year and failed year after year after year. And now here they are, Abraham, 70 plus, Sarah, far beyond her childbearing years. And God says, you are going to have descendants. Sounds like craziness, right? And his wife, Sarah, if you know the story, even laughs at God at one point when he says, you're going to become pregnant. I'll give credit uh, to Andy Stanley for for showing me this this next part. But look look at the facts around what God promises Abraham. When we look at our world as it stands today, there are three major monotheistic religions, right? Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. These three are also known as the Abrahamic religions because they all claim uh, some tie going back to Abraham, that Abraham is the father of their faith. Together, these three religions are followed by about 4.5 billion of the world's 7 billion people. Would you say that God's promise to Abraham came true? Yes. Now, of course, there is debate over which of those faiths is the true Abrahamic religion, but I would say that God was probably pretty accurate in predicting that one. Let's look at the second promise. That Abraham's name would be famous. How many of you today walking in here knew who Abraham was, or at least had heard about him before? Most, if, if not all of us. Go to the next slide. How many of you have ever heard of King Rimsin? Right. No PhDs in ancient cultures here? <coughs> king Rimsin was uh, the king of Mesopotamia. There's probably a word you haven't heard since seventh grade. Uh, but Rimsin. Was the king of Mesopotamia, which is where Abraham lived, and he was the king around the time that Abraham lived, and he was even uh, the longest reigning king in Mesopotamia. And so everybody in Abraham's day knew who Rim Sin was, and yet none of us do now. But here we are 4,000 years later, halfway around the world in another time, in another culture, with another language, and we all know Abraham turns out God is pretty trustworthy with these kinds of things. And Abraham, in his limited knowledge, not seeing the whole plan laid out before him, but just knowing God promised that this would happen, takes a step of faith. And he knew somehow his faith would pay off. That if he followed God into this new place, that that third promise would come true, that God would use him to bless the world. Next slide. God gave him a purpose and a promise. a Purpose, go from your home. A promise, you'll bless the world. Now what Abraham did was unique, right? Because from Abraham's line came the nation of Israel and eventually came the Messiah. God is not asking any of us to bring the Messiah into the world, he's already come, thank God. So he's not asking us to do that, but the promise that God makes here is consistent today as it was then. That when we take that step of faith and become a blessing to the world, we continue that promise of Abraham. We become the salt that preserves the world, as Jesus taught us. We become the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We become the light of the world that drives out darkness. Christians should be the kind of people that wherever we go, people just notice that, seems, that things seem to get better. That wherever the church is, More people are loved, more people are cared for, more people are equipped for life, and more people are in tune with God. And we want your county to be a place where more people are loved, where more people are cared for, where more people are equipped for life, and more people are in tune with God because Spry Church is there. But we have to be willing to be uncomfortable and embrace the inconvenient for God's sake. In fact, uh, that's a pretty good litmus test for deciding whether or not God is calling you to do something. We struggle with that question sometimes, right? Is God asking me to do this? And I would say that if the step you're considering will enable you, will equip you, or will free you up to be more of a blessing to other people, then yeah, it's probably God who's asking you to do it. Because it sounds a whole lot like what God is asking Abraham to do here in Genesis. God is for us. And being for us means that he will do whatever it takes to make sure that one of us becomes a blessing to all of us, that you are a blessing to the world. God loves you and has a wonderful, inconvenient, and purposeful plan for your life. Won't you take a step and live into it? Let's pray. God, to you, uh, we are grateful that you have... Something laid out for us that's not always easy, not always fun, um, that leads us into all kinds of questions and and difficult times. And yet, Lord, we know um, through your word that all of this works together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And we look at this call of Abraham, and we know that you are calling us daily to the exact same thing, to leave what's familiar, to leave what's comfortable, to come after you. And so Lord, we pray um, that you give us your spirit, give us strength to do that. We can't do it on our own. We would have done it already if we could. And so we ask that you would empower us to take that step. Teach us, Lord, how to be dependent on you, how to have faith in you, and how to be a blessing to others as we seek to follow Jesus and pray this prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil thine is the kingdom